At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. What is up? This is Peter J. Kim on the Food 52 Podcast Network, and you're listening to Counter Jam, the show that celebrates culture through food and music. This round of Counter Jam is a dope, hip-hop-fueled exploration of Filipino identity. Yeah, we'll get into sinigang, adobo, lechon, and all that good stuff, but we'll also explore the interplay of names, language, menus, and the immigrant experience with chef and author Dale Taldi, filmmaker and educator Evelyn Obamos, and hip-hop artist Ruby Ibarra, whose banging album Circa 91 will be the soundtrack to this episode. If you're like me and you're a fan of 90s hip-hop, then this is the album for you. It brings together the lyrical prowess of Tupac, the grittiness of Wu-Tang, and the storytelling and soulfulness of Lauryn Hill together into one perfect album. We're kicking things off with his first track called Us. This track is a booming fist bump to Filipino women everywhere. The chorus, which is in English and Tagalog, is Island Woman Rise, Nothing Can Stop You. Brown Brown Woman Rise, Know Your Roots. Here's Us by Ruby Ibarra with Rocky Rivera, Classy, and Faith Santilla. No matriarchs and mothers work from the ground up They craft an air like ATR With the butterflies leaves like a Philippine gun Napag nagsalita mga banat ay bala Huwag magtaka kung ako ay matatabulok Na sistema kurapot sa pera Bagsak but we put in our heart into darkness They put in these pics in the office Oh you think in your schooling but you hella lost Cause you best get the boss while I top this But look at my eye that she moving so cold Can't hold a candle to her when she glow Flick at the wrist but that ilaw she hold Panagwa sa ilaw she dripping in gold We pulling up in a jeepney All of my soldiers greet me Hand me bandanas and pull back my hammer It's warfare when you see me Skin you alive for my country I live and die for my country I kill a pig in a white hooded suit on the low For my country They got evil plans in the devil's hands But I don't pray cause I organize They got new ways to impose strength But I teach mine how to mobilize We don't fight for the money For the greedy, for the white man All we want is our freedom And the right to live on our motherland Island woman rise, walang makakatigil Brown, brown woman rise, alamin ang yung ugat They got nothing on us, nothing on us, nothing on us, nothing on us Hell yes, that was us off of Ruby Ibarra's album Circa 91 I have to admit that I went into making this episode knowing very little about Filipino culture Sure, I've had my Filipino friends, and yes, I've eaten my fair share of lechon, but I realized just what a Filipino cultural noob I was when I couldn't figure out what word to use to describe the culture for the show. Was it Filipino? Filipinex? Pinoy? Something else? My natural inclination was to be as inclusive as possible, or so I thought, 
and to use Filipinex. But then I had some doubts, so I consulted my friend Evelyn Obamos, a filmmaker who has been an educator for the Pinoy Pinay Educational Alliance. She shined a light on some of the complexities. You're so right in that it's complex and complicated and layered. I personally prefer saying Filipino with a P-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. The history behind it is very complicated because we have been a country that's been, and I say we as a Filipino-American, but I claim the land as my own and my ancestors. And it's complicated because even the country's name in and of itself is actually named after our colonizer, King mm. Philip of Spain. And so then you have this layer of like the PH sound. PH is like an F, which is an which is a character that actually does not exist in our pre-colonial dialect. So there's this entire written system called Baybayin or Alibata, which is like the phonetic way to describe bye bye in and there is no f and there is no v which for many people if you hear a filipino accent you'll notice when we say fork we say pork but then you get deeper into the language and you realize oh it's very influenced by like spanish and so there's this very gendered nuance to the language as well so filipino for men filipina for women and <laughs> I think, you know, in the academic space, more people want to create inclusivity. And so the at letter was born where it represents the A and the O. And then more inclusivity conversations took it further and introduced the X. The irony behind the, the at symbol and the X is that even with reclaiming this P over the F, the at symbol and the X symbol are also not native to the Philippine language. Right. And so it becomes this like almost is American culture now imposing its ideas into the Philippine language. Right. And who are we to then say, oh, this is the right way to do it because it's gender inclusive. It's kind of funny because the word Pinoy, Pinay is also originally from like American slang. <laughs> and so it's kind of funny where it's just like, Who's allowed? We're always asking, like, who's allowed to make these rules and who is actually abiding by them? And I think there's, like, too much gatekeeping around it in a, in a place where it's constantly evolving. I think it's okay for it to evolve, and it's okay to, like, learn that that wasn't the right way to, to look at it. After talking to Evelyn and reading up on things, I decided to roll with Filipino. I understand and accept the shortcomings of this word, of course. But for what it's worth, both Ruby and Dale, my other interviewees, also prefer to use the word Filipino. Anyway, I wanted to address this first because word choice is important. Words are powerful. We have all been in situations where words have angered us, inspired us, or emotionally moved us, so it's important to be thoughtful about how we use them. While we're on the topic of language, I want to talk about names. And I'm going to tee things up by playing an interlude from Ruby's album, Circa 91. Class, please settle down. We'll continue taking attendance. Now, where were we? Brittany Green. Here. Piper Violet Haydenson. Here. Oh, such a cute name, you cutie. Blake Harper. Here. me so hot. Here? Yeah, let's just call you Kimmy H instead. Great. Ru 
Belize? Ibarra? Javier, Joselito, Cabo. How many names do you have? You'll be JJ. Every school year on the first day of school, I think my biggest fear wasn't what clothes did I have or what backpack or notebook did I have or what gel pen, <laughs> but it was how bad is my teacher going to butcher my name on the first day of school? My, my name is actually four or four names. Um, just like, you know, the standard Filipino name. I have two first names. <laughs> my middle name is my mom's last name. And then, of course, my, my last name from my father. That interlude just rang so true for me. Actually, not for me directly personally, because my name is as simple as can possibly be Peter Kim. <laughs> but I do remember, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest and I remember in roll call, just like holding my breath when the teacher would get to like my Indian American friends names and they'd be, there'd be like the eyebrow raise and then like the kind of like chuckle at like, well, this is a tough one, you know, <laughs> like, oh, come on. My other guest, chef and author Dale Taldi, had similar memories. J- Jamal? Ja- Jamal. <laughs> it's Jamal. <laughs> we'll just call you Jay. It's funny looking back on it now. It's like that subtle inequality. It builds over time, right? It's like that person's refusal to like, you know, you had you had this list of people for how many months, and you refuse to kind of understand how to say it or ask a question or make you know make the you you go into it and you're gonna make the person feel yeah stupid or inferior. This got me talking to Dale about his own last name which, as I understand it, is typically pronounced Talde. But I noticed that he himself usually pronounced it Taldi. Taldi is like Talde. Yeah. You know, you have to have, it has, it's a Spanish, it's a, it is, comes from a Spanish name. So yeah, yeah. you do put the, but like, you know, like I'm from Chicago and like I grew up there. And yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And it was like Taldi. So everything has those hard, those hard vowels on it, so. Well, and you might know this, but if I actually pronounce my family name, which is Kim, the way that it's supposed to be pronounced in Korean, it'd be Gim. Yeah. And like, ain't nobody calling me Peter Gim. No. So like, yeah, we've had to make those sacrifices. But for me, it's like not much of a sacrifice. You know what I mean? Because I grew up like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Some people are like, oh, my God, you're not saying, you know, you're doing a disjustice to the culture by not saying your name pronounced correctly. I'm like, listen, man, you, it's not your name. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's not your name. And you didn't have to grow up with it. No, it's interesting. I mean, there's a pretty standard system for naming for Korean American families. Well, it's interesting, first of all, is like Korea is actually, as you probably know, like not just a Christian country, but also a heavily Buddhist country. But for whatever reason, most Korean American immigrants are like Christian, Protestant, and they come over here and they've got their Korean family name and then they give their kids the Korean given name, but then they need to give their kids like an English, like, you know, quote unquote American name. And like, what do they do? They look in the New Testament. And so that's why you have like Peter's John's David Kim, John Kim, Peter Kim, Paul Kim, you know, and like compound that with the fact that there's like basically five major family names in Korea. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I could basically do a mental calculation of how many Peter Kims there are in the country from like that alone. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a hard, uh, that's not a hard equation. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, man, I mean, that's, it's like, it's like to, to English speakers, it's like, you're welcome. Yeah. It's like, I, listen, man, you know what? We're, we're doing this to help you guys out. So you could, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> you, you know, you don't have to struggle. Taking things back into school, Ruby and I talked about her experience in the cafeteria. One of the things that my mom or my parents kind of wanted us to assimilate into American culture was the fact that my mom didn't actually prepare food for me to bring to uh, to bring to school. Um, I uh-huh. think we, I, ha- I actually had food um, from the, the, the school cafeteria 
And, um, you know, up until that point, everything that I had ever eaten was Filipino food and rice. I was always <laughs> used to having rice with every single meal. So I think kindergarten, first grade, because kindergarten was still snacks, when I entered first grade and I stepped foot in, into the school cafeteria, I think that was the, one of the first moments of my life where, okay, I'm not going to be eating meals with the rice anymore. And I think <laughs> one, of, one of the first meals I had was a bean burrito from Taco Bell. Ooh, and I remember, you know, yum. it was served on, on those lunch plates. And I remember... I got this and I was, <laughs> I think I was kind of dumbfounded. I, I, I thought to myself, how do I eat this? Am, am I supposed <laughs> to eat this like with a, with a fork? And then I had to kind of, I, I think, you know, again, assimilate during that time. And I remember looking around at the cafeteria table and just kind of, you know, mimicking my classmates and seeing how, you know, they went about eating this burrito. And, you know, I, I picked it up and I had never tasted anything like that. And, um, you know, I think needless to say, for, for the rest of that school year, every every other food that I was eating, um, you know, in the next next several months was all new for me. Every, every day was a, a new taste test. <laughs> I love the idea of you stepping out of the rice matrix and being like, wait, there's a world beyond rice. <laughs> and what is this like? flat-shaped rice that's wrapped around these beans. Um, <laughs> when I when I went to grade school, I actually remember, and you just talking about this brought this back in my memories. Um, I remember there being like a dividing line between the hot lunch kids and the cold lunch kids. And the cold lunch kids were the ones who brought their lunch in bags. And the hot lunch kids were like me who went to the cafeteria for food. And at least the school I went to, it was kind of like the cold lunch kids had it way better than the hot lunch kids. Mm. And it was typically actually... I mean, my family wasn't like particularly poor. I wouldn't say we were wealthy by any means, uh, but we weren't, I wouldn't say we were poor, but like I was a, a hot lunch kid and most of my friends in my class were cold lunch kids. And so like they'd come with like their Capri Suns and like their Lay's potato chips and like their like sandwiches. The Lunchables. And all their like cool stuff <laughs> or like Lunchables. Oh yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> and I would be there getting my like, my like limp ass, like rectangular pizza with like, <laughs> You know, the iceberg lettuce and like two pieces of carrots on it. I'm like, is this cheese? Oh, I know. Exactly. <laughs> and I remember the only thing I could ever barter with my friends was tater tots or croutons. That's the only thing I could <laughs> ever like trade for anything yes, else. The Everything else bartering. was useless. So like, <laughs> it won't take any of that. But yeah, so I, I used to always envy my like cold lunch friends. Anyway, got, good to meet somebody who's also on team hot lunch. <laughs> I was primarily, you know, one of, one of the um, the hot lunch kids because like I mentioned earlier, my parents wanted me to make sure that, you know, I got used to American food. But there was actually, I wanted to point out there was a, or I wanted to share that there was a few times that I brought um, food from home. One story I want to share is when my mom packed um, chicken adobo with rice um, for me and she put in a Tupperware, threw it in a paper bag. I opened it at school um, there, there was actually, I think, no microwave. So I just like, you know, straight up ate it as it was. And I remember uh, some of my white classmates were actually sitting on the same um, cafeteria bench as me. And they looked over and I specifically remember this. And one of the girls asked, she, she says this, she says, Ew, what is that? What are you eating? Is that even food? And I remember like, of course, being like a seven, I think this was like first or second grade, being like a seven-year-old kid at the time, I looked down at my lunch and all of a sudden, one of my favorite foods of all time becomes an embarrassment for me. And, and I think, damn, I shouldn't have brought this. And I, what actually ended up doing was I closed my lunch and I didn't, I didn't eat it. 
And um, when I got home from school, I was I was deathly afraid that my mom was going to kick my ass for not eating. Of course, you don't want to waste food. Asian parents would. That's blasphemy if you waste food. (laughs) I remember um, once I got into at home, I, I went straight to the bathroom to avoid talking to my mom. And I flushed the food down the toilet so that she wouldn't see that I didn't eat it. And to this day, that is like one of the things that I regret. Like, why why would I even listen, you know, to to what a classmate had to say to prevent me from eating one of my favorite foods? I mentioned that to to, um, highlight, you know, that food was also kind of um, it it showed social status, I think, at at school and um, also brought about um, or for me, especially in my experience, it brought about, um, you know, me also understanding um, you know, how certain types of foods were recognized with different communities. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's such a tragedy, I think, when something that's so central to your identity becomes a source of shame. And I like to imagine a revised scene where adult Ruby drops in from a time machine <laughs> and like starts like slaying it on the mic, you know, to yes. like, explain. <laughs> I would have picked up that chicken that I would have picked up that drumstick and like taken a big bite and then be like, <laughs> yeah. this is chicken adobo. And then like do a mic drop at the chicken leg. <laughs> you wish you had this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Dale, on the other hand, was fortunately spared being mocked for the food he ate. Or perhaps I should say he was as much a mocker as he was a mocky. We all thought our food was weird. Yeah, yeah. Because I had so many friends who were just different cultures, different cultures, you know. You go to my friend, you know, this Polish dude's house and like his mom has warm butter on the counter. I'm like, yo, isn't that going to go bad? She's like, it's butter, dude. It's not going to go bad. I was like, okay. You know, I'm like, you're putting, you know what I mean? Like, oh, here's a, here's a ravioli and you're putting jam on it. And I, you know, it was like a, it was like a a cheese pierogi. Not only was it white people, but we all were like that against everyone else's food. We're like, dude, this dude just put jam on raviolis. That was weird <laughs> as fuck. You know Meanwhile, what I mean? Meanwhile, I'm going to eat my preserved squid. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, and rice. Like, that's totally fine. I'm going to eat my blood stew that we call chocolate meat. I'm not totally cool. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Dale touched on this, but in case you're not familiar with chocolate meat, it is one of the all-time greatest food misnomers. It's a savory stew made with pig organ meat cooked in a dark brown gravy made with pig blood, chilies, and vinegar, among other things. Delicious it may be, but chocolate is decidedly not. So I want to take a moment to explore the backstory to Ruby's album Circa 91, which was released in 2017. This was Ruby's first album, and from what she told me, she agonized over what themes to explore with it. She knew it would be an important statement of what kind of artist she was. After receiving some advice from a friend, she knew. I had that light bulb moment and I thought, you know, what, what other story makes me other than my immigrant story? I, I really felt like my story really starts when my family and I, or started when my family and I moved to the U.S. from the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, so I, ha- I do have a story to tell. And there is an authentic story that I have, you know, I mean, within my journey that is going to be only true to my experience. And, um, you know, I, I, as I thought about it a little bit more, I thought about my favorite albums growing up. I thought about Lauryn Hill's Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. Um, and even more recently, I think at that moment, uh, uh, that was around 2016, 2017, Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid Mad City had just come out as mm-hmm. well. And um, as I thought more deeply about it, I realized that, you know, why I love these albums or even like Tupac's albums was that 
um, first and foremost, there was a lot of storytelling in the music. But That's I think right. secondly, these albums were the type of records where if you hit play from song number one and you listen to the entire project all the way to track number 18 or 20, um, for me as a listener, I always felt like I knew exactly who that artist was by the time I finished that the record or I, I had a better glimpse of into their life. And I think, you know, um, thinking about that, that gave me a better approach or understanding on how to go about, you know, creating this narrative of an album. And so I knew that, you know, the overall umbrella theme would be about immigration, but falling within that would be language, would be family, um, assimilation. And so Circa 91 flows seamlessly from track one to track 18, taking you into Ruby's experience as a Filipino-American immigrant. Here's another interlude from her album. It's called Descent. We have just been cleared to land at Oakland International Airport. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. That was a quick flight, huh? Yeah, it was a lot shorter than I expected. So you were in, you were in D.C.? Yeah, I was there for uh, the weekend... Uh, for a college conference. What were you doing out there? Um, spoken word and rap. Um, I do that on the, on the side. Oh, nice, nice. You're a performer. Yeah, yeah, I, I perform on the weekends oh, cool, usually. Oh, cool, cool. So uh, where are you from originally? Um, right now I live in San Lorenzo, the East Bay. Okay, but I mean like, you know, like before that, where are you from? Well, before San Lorenzo, I was living in Hayward, so yeah, I, but I've been living in the Bay Area for, for pretty much my entire life. Yeah, but you, where's your family from, I guess? Yeah, my family's from San Lorenzo, too. Oh, okay, but, like, you're not, I mean, like, like, originally where you're from, like, ethnically, I guess, where are you from? Filipino. Oh, Manny Pacquiao! Yeah. Yeah, I gotta compliment you on your English. It's, like, it's perfect. I actually wrote the skits first before I even wrote a single piece of music. And I centered a lot of the topics and themes around the skits. That's one of the really beautiful aspects of Circa 91 is just really, it's like a great menu, right? It just takes you from the first course to the last one seamlessly. And you really feel like you've gone through this sort of this journey right alongside you. Um, and I'm right on the same wavelength with you where like, and this is the reason why I kind of lament the rise of like the MP3 and that like streaming music is just, you know, how that affects how people perceive albums and how that really happens. Because I think back to things like The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill and any Outcast album, basically. Like, you know, it, there's just such a great progression to the tracks that I feel like you kind of lose when you start focusing in just on singles or like tracks that people are going to start streaming. Yes, I agree. I, I feel like the experience back then, as, a, as especially as a hip hop listener, it was more immersive, not only... Um, you know, were digital tracks versus, um, you know, a physical album and or singles being released compared to a full body of work. Um, but I think also that just having the booklet in your hands, I don't know about you, but for example, like when whenever I picked up, you know, the, the, the newest like Wu-Tang album or um, again, having like Miseducation of Lauren Hill and going through that pamphlet, reading the liner notes, seeing who the producers oh, yeah. and the writers were, the, the photos, I feel like that was all part of the, the presentation, which I agree with you is it's, it's, you know, pretty lost today. This is another track from the album that reflects on a deeply personal aspect of Ruby's life. I put myself in a place of vulnerability and talking about, um, you know, being fatherless, um, you know, you know, growing up and my parents going through a divorce and then the impact that it had in, in my relationships growing up. Here's Broken Mirrors by Ruby Ibarra. 
Reflections of a five-year-old looking in the rear view Wondering why she ain't got a father like her peers do Instead they got a babysitter Ten years later, been a minute But before you learn to lose trust, it takes a certain limit Product of a single mother fucked up when I think of love Father figure packed up, it's never been enough So I'm ducking when I catch a feeling Hate is what my heart is feeling Papa killed his fate a million times, so why do I forgive him? Papa pill when pain is killing Popping veins a proper feeling People popping up are just a prop to me to hurt I'm willing, porcelain turn poison venom Probably won't prosper when I'm See without the poppy prophecy, some problems pouring in and pop the pussy my position. Lying more than politicians, call him daddy guys, the villain. Opposite the opposition, papa's never far from vision. Carbon copy pops reflection, fuck a mirror, pain's the villain, cause it's always popping in them. Looking in the mirror, like, looking in the mirror, like, why do I just hate myself? I keep looking in the mirror, like, looking in the mirror, like, I can't even find myself. I keep looking in the mirror, like, looking in the mirror, like, why do I just hate myself? I keep looking in the mirror, like, looking in the mirror, like, I can't even find myself. Up next, we'll talk about Filipino home cooking and why Dale Taldi thinks we should never, ever call Filipino food expensive after this. Reflections of an 18, daydream in a motel, bruises and they both well, he's toxic but she won't tell. Ruby came over to the U.S. from the Philippines at the young age of five. However, she still has glimmers of memories from where she was born, a place called Tacloban City in the Philippines. I remember, you know, on the weekends, um, my uncles and my aunts would sometimes visit us from a nearby town and they would bring um, lechon, which is roasted pig, um, every time we would have this annual fiesta um, in, in our town. And, you know, my family on my mom's side, she comes from a large family. She's uh, the youngest of seven brothers. Oh, wow. Um, So you already know how many cousins I have. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, of those seven brothers, um, I think only one has an only child. The other six have about 10 to 12 kids each. So that that already kind of, um, you know, hopefully you get a visualization of my family tree. Um, So I come from a very large family and... um, because of that, um, you know, you know what comes with that is a lot, a lot of family get-togethers, and a lot of family get-togethers obviously, you know, were spent with um, food. Um, you know, just I remember um, my aunts, my grandma, my mom, all being in the kitchen. They would spend time in the kitchen from the morning all the way until mid-afternoon around 5 p.m. Then I would have some of my older cousins um, cleaning the rice outside, like in in these like in these um, large um, bamboo trays and they, and they would shake them to, to clean mm-hmm. out like the um, impurities in the rice. And um, in addition to that, I would have my uncle sitting in the backyard roasting the pig while, while the, you know, they were drinking Filipino beer in, in their hands. So memories like that are actually pretty vivid in my mind. And, um, you know, when I think about food, I think about times like that. And um, I think because of that, um, I always associate food as, as a communal thing, mm-hmm. as, as something that, you know, uh, it's, it involves the community and it involves a lot of hands that, that, that you know, were put into preparation and then everybody celebrating and, 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 you know, really taking in the food together. So even to this day, I think now, you know, that I'm living in the U.S. and I might not have, you know, my large family here living in this country. Um, when I do have time to get together with my friends, it's always um, a large get together with, you know, an incredible amount of food as well, because I think, um, it, it, it gives me nostalgia to, to those early moments in my childhood where I would remember my family, you know, surrounding us w- with, with a lot of food. Yeah. Sounds like a family reunion is like a pig size family <laughs> reunion. Like you need the whole pig. <laughs> Chef Dale grew up in the Chicago area. His family get togethers are similarly expansive affairs. 
Oh my god, dude! I mean, my wife, my wife laughs at it because <laughs> you know there's single family homes and there's forty or fifty people packed in this thing. Um, you know, there's two tables, one all savory, one all dessert. There's probably a total, maybe 45, 50 items. Oh my God. I mean, turkeys, hams, wonton soup, someone made prime rib, someone made a whole lechon, like a pork belly lechon. Sometimes they'll bring a whole pig that they're like finishing off in the backyard, five or six different starches, at least three different noodles, pancit. Like if someone went to the Philippines, there might be like some preserved, like, squid like yeah, a double yeah. squid that someone smuggled back home from back home you know like the desserts are like all the way from you know pecan pie to pumpkin pie to like really traditional like a coconut jelly dessert rice cakes wow yeah like i i've, I've stopped like trying to do everything in one shot you know i'm just like listen like i like okay i, I start with my mom's soup I get a plate of the oxtails and then I get a little bit of the noodles and then I chill out and then I go and get some prime rib. Yeah. And it's like a five or six hour affair. Among this rich spectrum of Filipino dishes that Ruby and Dale ate growing up, I asked them which one stuck out the most. I have always loved sinigang. So it's this tamarind soup. And how she usually made it was with pork and vegetables and tomatoes. And it's just been very hard. It's always it's just a heartwarming type of dish. I think the, the equivalent of the American equivalent would be like chicken noodle soup. That is my chicken noodle soup. Every mm. time I want to feel like I'm at home or I want to be reminded of my childhood or it's a cold, rainy day, I definitely... Like with the thing, the only thing that would brighten up my day would be a, a, a big bowl of um, pork sinigang. Mm. And um, I remember specifically as a kid, you know, this was a dish that my mom would prepare. Um, it was it, it's it's fairly quick to make in terms of the preparation, but it was the simmering time. Like we would have to wait yeah. like two and a half hours. You know, this was um, pre crock pot days, so this was like you know three hours of just simmering the meat. And I think just that anticipation of, you know, waiting for the food to finally be cooked and then finally be served uh, made the food taste even better. Yeah. And those were also, um, or why sinigang is also very special to me is because it's one of those dishes where I remember helping my mom out in the kitchen and, um, you know, she would start to assign, you know, I would, I would, I would be like seven or eight years old, but she would give me like one of those um, blunted like knives that aren't so sharp. Mm -hmm. And she would ask me to like cut up some veggies just to, to help. And it's moments like that where, you know, I got to, you know, share this, you know, special bond with my mom in the kitchen and just have, having that one-on-one, -on -one, um, you know, um, experiences and alone time. And to, to me, that made, you know, preparing the dish even more special. And I, I got to learn how to make it from her. I don't know if there's, you know, some Filipino listeners out there listening. Um, they, they might be able to relate. Um, for me, something as simple as um, a toast, a, a piece of toast with peanut butter on it. And then folding that piece of toast and then dipping it in hot coffee, that to me will always, be, I think, be the, the number one food on the top of my wow. list that reminds me of my childhood. There were so many, you know, breakfasts and mornings where um, me, my mom, and my younger sister would just dip our, um, <laughs> our peanut butter toast in our coffee. And then especially once that peanut butter starts to melt from the hot coffee and then you see it like sliding down like the, the, the side of the bread. <laughs> oh, my God. There, I, I have never tasted, like, I haven't even had a filet mignon that tastes as good as peanut butter toast coffee. Like, I promise oh, you, you have so to dope. try it if no, you haven't tried it. I am definitely trying this. Um, but <laughs> I don't know if it might just be because of my nostalgic memories that, that make the food taste, that, that might make me think it tastes better than it is. But um, I, I just wanted to share that because that, that to me is, you know, the, the ultimate childhood food 
memory for me. I also want to note that I probably should have been drinking coffee at five years old, but hey, it already happened. So, so can't change that. <laughs> hey, I mean, honestly, like the, the sort of like food nerd side of me is like, wow, you overcame an aversion to bitterness at such a young age. Usually kids can't drink coffee until much later because they're just like can't get over the bitterness. But that's impressive. Oh, oh it was super sweet. It wasn't bitter oh, yeah. at all. It, it had like cups and cups of sugar and cream. In oh, OK, it. so that's a key part, right? <laughs> Dale's early experiences continue to inform how he cooks today. The things that stuck with me are like, obviously, my mom's adobo. It's like the you know, Filipino national dish, you know, but she would do it with pork or chicken or combine it. And then she would put like chicken liver in it. And I'm like a chicken liver. Yeah. I love liver, like in any form, like it's my jam. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's where I learned. Like, I think that it started early with my mom. Things that I didn't even like when I was a kid, but I saw it made an impression now. It's like I have a dish on my menu now that it's Chinese black vinegar, soy, heirloom tomatoes. I do like like these uh, hot and sour boba uh, pearls and like just a bunch of fresh herbs. Watching my mom pick tomatoes out of the garden and just put a little bit of soy sauce on it. Mm. And that's it. It's so simple. Not olive oil, none of that stuff. She just put a little soy on it. And it was just like, yeah. you start to understand that that's, she's kind of building, she was building my palate back then. Today, Dale is one of the best in the biz. He's opened numerous restaurants and has become a recurring contestant and judge on the TV show Top Chef. I asked him what his family thought about his food, and this opened up an interesting conversation about perceptions of prices and what that means about how we think about ourselves. In terms of like your own like fine dining takes on Filipino food, how does your family actually perceive that? They're the same. I mean, come on, let's be real, man. Your, your parents, every auntie and mom goes into these Korean restaurants or they go into my restaurant uh, and they're like, you know, it's nice, but it's not Filipino food. I'm like, listen, it never was supposed to, I never said it was Filipino food. It's like, yeah, and it's expensive. I go, well, what do you want me to do about that? You know what I mean? This isn't like, this isn't a, a cafeteria style <laughs> point. In, I mean, you know what I mean? Like that's, you know, that colonization mentality, right? Is that someone put it in our heads that our, everything we do right, is lesser right. than. We got to get that shit out of our heads yeah. and demand that our food is worth the amount that you're charging for it. But it's that colonization, that, you know, mentality that, that everything we do is lesser than somebody else's or, or that it's lesser than because it's not white. Yeah, yeah. And I think, it, I, think, I think it really boils down to that, right? Because it's not coming from a white Anglo-Saxon point of view or it's this you know, European style of dining, it's lesser than. Because you, you don't yeah. say shit for going to these three-star Michelin restaurants that are, you know, John George, Danielle... The Bernadette paying $350, $400, $500 for these restaurants. You don't say shit about it. Yeah. They go eat at a Filipino restaurant and my God, that was expensive. <laughs> it's like, yo, you paid 50 bucks for dinner for two people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, this reminds me. I, I took my mom once. It was supposed to be like a really special meal for her. But to this restaurant I loved in the East Village. I don't know if you ever went there. Oiji. Mm -hmm. And I love their food. And I went through my mom and the whole time she was kind of like had her brow furrowed because, you know, it wasn't like banchan for days and like everything was just like, you know, it's fine dining. Right. And so afterwards, she just came out being like, ah, you know, I just it just didn't feel right. Like we should be getting more kimchi. We should be getting more like all this like side dishes. And it was so expensive. And like even though I, I, I picked up the bill. She just, it just was like so contrary to what like she felt like it should be like that it just, it just didn't even like vibe with her. And it's her own people, you know, that's the, that's, yeah, yeah. that's the hard part exactly. is that we're our own, we sabotage, we're sabotaging the culture. 
we're the, our own worst. Oh, yeah. I'd never, I try and never. Listen, if a restaurant isn't good, if I eat at a Filipino restaurant and it's just not good, I'm just not going to, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'll say, I don't think it was good, but I won't say it was expensive. Yeah. I'll, I, that's the one thing yeah, that yeah. I'll get out of my head is that I'll say that I won't ever say something was expensive because the minute yeah. you stop, the minute you start saying that it's expensive, it gives everyone else who isn't Filipino, Korean, Chinese, whatever, the right to shit on it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, man, we need to be uplifting. We need to be saying it's worth this. We are worth it. We are val. And you know, it really comes down to that. We're valuable, right? Yeah, yeah. We're valuable. Our culture is valuable. It's more valuable than just your nanny. It's more valuable than, than the nurse that, and that's the fucked up thing is like, you all know Filipino people. They took care of you yeah. in, at probably your hardest times. Um, but we're more than, you know, you, your brother's girlfriend or your cousin dated a Filipino girl. We're more than that. <laughs> you know, we were one of the first, we were the, actually the fir- one of the first Asian communities in the United States. That's right. In, in Louisiana. So. And, you know, like, I think it's like 13th most populous country on the planet. 170 different languages. So much diversity and history there. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's wild. And it's, it's actually wild that we, you could even distill that down to saying that's like, Filipino, just you know. Oh, it's so hard. I mean, it encompasses so. Well, much. I think that's also why it's we are kind of an enigma to a lot of people is because they don't know. You know, we're 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 East Southeast Asian, but we all have Spanish last names, and um, you know, none of us are good at math. I'm just uh, <laughs> you know, we all got rid. You know, we all got rid of them. But no, uh, it's it's hard for them to kind of put us into these categories. So, and I think that's what um, why people get confused about the culture. Taking a step out of fine dining, Dale and I talked about the kinds of home-cooked Filipino dishes he makes for his parents and family in Chicago. His answer was surprising. My family doesn't eat my Filipino food. I made, I made lechon koale the other day and my parents loved it. But when it comes mm. to Filipino food, I stay away from it. And that's my, that's my tortured relationship with understanding my own culture. And that's on me and I'm trying to figure this out for my son and my others, you know, my my family, because I want them to grow up knowing that they're Filipino, but it's hard when you don't, when yourself, it's, 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 it, it, I've, I've had a tortured relationship with it. I do. I do. I have, I have a hard time with it. Um, not with Phil, being Filipino, but cooking Filipino food, because it's never like, yeah, yeah. dude, I'm a perfectionist. Like I, I always expect my food to be dope. But when I make Filipino food and it's not as dope as my mom's, it's like, like, yo, I do this for a living. How can I, how can I not reverse engineer? I can reverse engineer a lot of food. But when I make food, Filipino food, and it's not like that, it's, it's so hard. And you know, Filipinos are the same as Koreans were. The, the pantry isn't large. Yeah. But sometimes it just doesn't taste the way my mom's does. And then, I don't know. It's, just, it's hard. It's just, I, I, I feel fake kind of making it sometimes. Yeah. I don't know if, that, if that, that sounds. Yeah, I mean, like, straight up, like, I personally, I don't feel like I know korean culture really like my only connection to korea is through my parents and it's even like language wise like i only speak korean with my parents literally there's like two people on the planet with whom i speak korean and everybody else i don't speak a lick of korean (laughs) because like is it because is it because your korean's not good it's not good and like it's it's a very specific way of speaking korean that i learned with my my family that is just like will draw like confusion and then in some cases scorn like if i try to use it <laughs> yeah. elsewhere um, yeah they'll think you're dumb oh, yeah, yeah. like he's a dummy oh like when we're he's at the korean dummy. restaurant my friends like i'll look at me and they're like go ahead and order peter and i'm like 
I'm gonna go ahead and order in English right now because, like, yeah. Um, Damn, you don't even order food, Korean food in Korean restaurants in Korean? No, no, because oh. no. like it just. <laughs> I mean, I, the dish name, sure, but I'm not like doing the whole conversation thing in Korean because, like, it's just I just speak Korean with my parents. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, like, so when it comes to like cooking food and recipes. I mean, I totally feel like I'm faking it when I'm making food for my family's mm-hmm. Korean food, except like I'm just trying to like now like really absorb the way my, my parents make it because they are the only real true connection I have to mm-hmm. my actual like rooted identity as a Korean. So, yeah, I, f- I feel that. No, that's the same. I feel the same way. And it's, it's hard for me. Like, I know I'm Filipino, but like it's just, I, I'm just I'm, I'm trying to figure out my connection to the Philippines. And it's 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 a lengthy story. And hopefully at some point I could like like write about it because to me it's a, it's a, it's like it's it's yeah, a, yeah. it's a journey you know what i mean when i even when i go to the philippines it's like like i know what the i know what the food is and i know what people are saying especially if i go to like to um, the region my parents are from like i understand slowly if they talk slowly i know what they're saying um but you always kind of feel like an outsider yeah. you know what i mean that's yeah. why we're korean american you're korean american i'm filipino american we're a subset of a culture right we're a different category and yeah. i think it's an amazing thing to also create your own category, right? Trailblaze through it. And this is what we're doing today. And this is what Filipino food looks like now, you know, and it doesn't have to be just adobo, you know, it can be variations or, or our takes on, uh, or what we loved about the food applied to new, newer things and not necessarily saying it's better than, but just that's one other thing I hate, you know, I'm doing elevated X, Y, and Z food. Uh. It's like, okay, was it? Did it need to be elevated? Like, why? It was perfectly fucking good the way it was. I don't, you <laughs> <Yes>. know, <laughs> you know, and I think that's what people, yeah, yeah. that's also some of that language where people, um, and it's usually white people who do that shit. Oh, hell yes. Oh, I'm doing L. And you're never elevating gnocchi. Yeah, no. Oh, no, don't even touch it. God forbid you fucking, God forbid you touch gnocchi or God forbid you try and elevate coca vin or steak frites or any of that shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you know. Gnocchi is dumplings, like just doughy dumplings yeah. made with potatoes yeah, don't, don't fuck with exactly. it and like coca vines don't a, fuck with it don't fuck with yeah, it you know exactly. what I mean yeah but so don't like yeah, exactly yeah no yeah um yeah. and then you know, we gotta get used to that I think that's you know the only way you know some you know uh, our culture Asian culture um even we're we're we are uh guilty of it and you know that's how we say justify yeah. the the price tag sometimes instead of just saying hey this is what it is man yeah yeah I gotta say, I was definitely picking up what Dale's putting down. While I do think there's been a lot of progress in terms of inclusion in the industry, it's still very much the case that 20 bucks for a plate of ravioli makes sense, but 20 bucks for a plate of dumplings is no bueno. In both cases, it's, it's dough wrapped around fillings. 20 bucks for gnocchi is sensible, but 20 bucks for rice cakes? Hell no. And the messed up thing is that deep down, I feel this way. It's a hard bias to shake, but shake it, we must. All right, this brings us to the classic counter jam closer. The question, if you were stuck on a deserted island and could only eat one Filipino dish for the rest of your life, what would it be? Here's Ruby's answer. Probably some sort of silog. So um, what a silog dish is, it's basically, um, it, in, it involves um, garlic fried rice. Um, it has a fried egg. And when I say fried egg, Peter, I'm talking about the legit fried egg. <laughs> the one that has the crispy, the fried edges, the whites are crispy, yes. but the yolk is still runny. Um, and, but I, I would say like the meat, 
I don't know if I can decide on the meat right now. Let's just go with sisig. Um, I love pork sisig. It's diced up pork meat mm. and it's grilled. So I would I would love to have, you know, sisig meat with the, the fried egg and garlic fried rice. I, I wouldn't mind eating that for the rest of my life. Oh, that's dope. And Evelyn's answer. I would say chicken wings without a doubt, like mm. specifically flats. Sorry to all the drum met lovers out there, but it's called chicken wings for a reason. <laughs> and I will settle this debate with anyone at any time. I settled it with someone in Vegas while he was pissed drunk and <laughs> I won. So just to tell you, like chicken wings are superior. <laughs> and I would have that prepared in like a sinigang, mm. a dry rub style. And lastly, here's Dale keeping up the meat trend with his response. It'd probably be pork adobo, pork belly adobo. Yeah. I mean, I'm like 95% pork, so... Um, <laughs> It's like my whole, my whole, it's probably, that's why I have to eat chicken and rice right now. It's because I, I eat a lot of pork. Uh, I love it. I just, um, it's fatty, it's rich, it's textured. I mean, you know, it's just unctuous, it's sweet, it's sour, and it has, you know, the sweetness from the pork, but it's, it, it has a sour, the umami. I love it. Mm. I'm like, oh, so this is like so basic for me to say that though. Like, isn't it? I'm like the most basic. No, this is what you're eating every day though. I should be going to brunch tomorrow and eating avocado toast <laughs> and having a bellini. I mean, I think that's kind of what the question gets at, right? Is, is it's going to be something you're going to eat for the rest of your life. So it's not going to be something that's out there. It's got to be pretty much right in the strike zone. Yeah, I mean, it is what you, it's, it's, it's got to be what you love, right? Yeah, yeah. It's right. got to be what you love. Yeah, yeah. All right, pork adobo, just straight up or with rice? Yeah, pork belly with rice. I mean, that's a meal. You don't need anything else. That's my new album, dude. Right on. 95% pork. Don't tell the 95% pork. Love it'll be it. Up there, it'll, be up with, it'll be up there with Donda and Certified Loverboy. Hell yes. On this next track, pay attention to the shifting rhythm of Ruby's rhymes. In hip-hop terms, this is what we call spitting fire. She told me she was inspired by rappers like Eminem and how they use their voice like a rhythmic instrument. The end result is spectacular. Here's Playbills by Ruby Ibarra. We pay, they rob us. These snakes don't want us. Each day we all play this game that they taught us. In God that we trust, but they praying on us. He ate them, we scraped till we hate and both us. My mama's education on me, shit still. From a mechanic to McDonald's just to pay this bill. And we trying to sell a soul just to make this still. But the people in control are gonna hate me still. And we trying to save face, but the pain is with a brown face. Colonize the tongue, will never look at how my name tastes. Made across the ocean, motherfuckers better make way. 7,000 miles, I better want us in the first place. These days, with the pay way for a briefcase. Times eight, that's the death rate, and it's prepaid. Free wage, minimum pay. Ain't no leeway These stakes only get raised When the greed makes AK over these shades It's a payday But wait Laying down straight On the pay pay Replay Cut them up great Like a DJ While they Throwing us fake Just so we pay Brown face Was a melee In my heyday These days But you made late In your grave Wait Mayday Play the game straight Or you meet fake Green face How the ink taste When it bleed hate Seek change But we short change And exchange rate Food chain Keep your cake straight Or you get eight Self made Everything's fake But we fixate On things that we don't make Till we self hate Watch me make it rain Bitches don't know that I'm paid though Watch me make it rain I made that dollar from a pay So watch me make it rain Watch me, watch me make it rain And that's a wrap for this episode Stay tuned for the rest of season 3 of Counter Jam We've got some phenomenal guests Like Bebel Gilberto and Ziggy Marley lined up 
And if you like what you heard, please do drop a friendly review on Apple Podcasts. Shout out to our guests, Dale Taldi, Evelyn Obamos, and Ruby Ibarra. Shout out to Ruby for, first of all, making Circa 91, which is an album that you should go and listen to right away, and for letting us use it for this episode. Shout out to Food 52, Harry Sultan, and Coral Lee, the talented producer of Counter Jam who makes each episode happen. I'm Peter J. Kim, and I'll catch you on the next episode of Counter Jam. Ayaw ka baraka, kung nagtitinawa, hirahain mo po na kuhanin at imukwarta, orako, timpis.